to where he could catch a glimpse of the fallen Commodore, sprawled awkwardly on a couch, surrounded by anxious retainers. It was an unnerving sight. Doctors, naval officers, and servants moved about anxiously, or huddled in corners, conversing in whispers. Decatur himself was almost unrecognizable. His face was ashen, his familiar features tortured into a rictal grimace as he struggled to deal with the pain. His bright, piercing eyes, normally his most notable feature, were dull and listless. His high forehead and long aquiline nose were smeared with dirt and scratches from the dueling field. The boyish forelock of wavy brown hair that the portraitists so delighted in lay matted and disheveled. The pistol ball had glanced off his hip bone into the groin, severing vital arteries. The doctors had tried to stanch the flow of blood, but there was no place to apply a tourniquet, and they had been only partially successful. Wads of bloody makeshift bandages, towels, bedsheets, table linen, lay about, attesting to their frantic efforts. Dr. Lowell, the U.S. Surgeon General, who had hurried over to assist the physicians already in attendance, made an optimistic pronouncement concerning Decatur's condition, but Adams suspected his diagnosis was more to comfort family members than anything else. An army colonel, who had managed to see Decatur at close hand, told Adams that the wounded man could not survive the day. Decatur's distress was obviously extreme. He knew he was a dying man, and seemed almost to welcome the prospect. At one point, he told the doctors he had not believed it was possible to endure such pain. The surgeon suggested probing the wound to extract the ball, but when Decatur asked whether such a step would ease the discomfort, they admitted it would make no difference. So he told them to leave the bullet where it was. It had already done all the injury it could, he said. The news of the fallen leader spread rapidly across town. The city of Washington was still little more than an overgrown village made up of flimsy rooming houses sandwiched between grandiose half-finished marble public palaces. On muddy street corners and in the halls of power, citizens and officeholders gathered together to speak in hushed tones of the distressing event. What had brought on such a terrible and unexpected catastrophe? It would be months, even years, before all the details of the duel became known. But even in the first hours after the tragedy, the broad outlines of the story had already emerged. The duel had taken place at nine o'clock that morning, just across the district line in Maryland, at a place called the Valley of Chance, in the village of Bladensburg. Decatur had come there in response to a challenge from Commodore James Barron, another naval officer, who had also been wounded in the encounter, but was expected to recover. Details of the quarrel between the two men were still sketchy, but it was thought to have had its origin in an 1808 court-martial of Barron in which Decatur had sat as one of the judges— The court had convicted Baron, and in the twelve years since, the two men had neither met nor spoken until that very morning on the dueling grounds. Twelve years! How could such a feud fester for so long? 
there was speculation that the quarrel might have been deliberately kept alive and encouraged by others, but for what dark reasons? Suspicions quickly fell on the duelists' two seconds, who were also high-ranking naval officers, Commodore William Bainbridge and Captain Jesse Duncan Elliott. Both men had already fled the city for the safety of Virginia, and there were rumors, which later proved unfounded, that the Navy Department had ordered the arrest of both men. Decatur's fellow officers, the men who knew him best, asked different questions. How, they asked, could a man of such celebrated principle and such unquestioned courage allow himself to be drawn into such a tawdry and futile encounter? Decatur was no hot-blooded adolescent, anxious to prove his manhood. He was a mature leader, the bravest of the brave, and the man, incidentally, who had done more than any other to...